with the Lord. And I love that next verse. He says, so comfort one another with these words. So I want to comfort you with those words today. That our Lord is coming. Hallelujah. Maybe today. I say even so come Lord Jesus. Now unless my mind changes, this is probably going to be the last Sunday of this series that I've been preaching on Reverse the Curse. I talked first, the first lesson was on reversing the curse of our negative words. The second one was reversing the curse on our finances. Last week was reversing the curse of violence and anger that is so prolific in this world today. It is just, it is just amazing to me that people in high places that we have lost all dignity of the offices that we've been elected to and we resort to saying things that we certainly should not be saying. It is not a compliment to the office that we have. I, I have said many times, I certainly am nowhere near being a perfect person. But this office that I hold is a holy office. And I honor and respect so much the opportunity to be your pastor. I'm on my 20th year here. And I, I realize... Now I know with the very next breath you say, I hope it ain't 20 more. But I have learned to love you. And it's amazing when you watch the children come in one at a time and you learn them by name and you learn their characteristics and you learn their giftings and their talents and how much you begin to appreciate people more and more. I want to talk today about reversing the curse of unforgiveness. It's a lot more prevalent than you think it is. And I believe that many of the blessings that the Lord would desire for us to have goes back to our lack of forgiveness. This is why I've asked these gentlemen to give you that little slip of paper. And later in the service, I'm going to instruct you as to what I want you to do with that little piece of paper. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13 this morning. And I want to start with it because it's the disciples' request for Jesus to teach them how to pray. He didn't teach them why they should pray. They already knew that. I mean, they are in the Jewish culture. They are taught these kind of things. But he taught them how to pray. And he talks about it. He said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The disciples were very concerned about their own prayer life. 
They didn't understand why the prayers that they prayed did not seem to have the effect that the prayers that Jesus prayed. For when Jesus prayed, blind eyes were opened and deaf ears were unstopped and even the dead would come forth back to life. And they watched Him pray with such power and anointing and such effectiveness. And they began to wonder, well, why doesn't my prayer have the same effect as Jesus' prayer? And they got so concerned about it and they said, Lord, we want you to teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray. Now there's no real given, there's no real given way that we have to pray under all circumstances. Sometimes the shortest prayer is the best prayer. So a prayer is not judged by how long it is or how pretty words that are in it. But the prayer is usually effective based on our heart and our relationship with God and our standing of trusting and believing God when that prayer is given. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the secret to praying. And He said, first of all, I want you to acknowledge God the Father. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want you to recognize that there is a God who is over all of us. The sovereign God. The creator God. And Jesus said we should never really pray and expect to be effective unless we first acknowledge God Almighty. The El Shaddai. The more than enough. Hallelujah. He said our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your name's not like every other name. Your name's not like any Tom, Dick, or Harry that you run across out on the way. That's why the Bible was so clear about us using the name of God in the right way. And how He put hard, hard restrictions on us when we use the name of God in vain. Or we speak it in the wrong circumstances. Jesus said before our prayers can be effective, we've got to recognize God the Father, that He is a holy God, He is a sacred God, and that He expects the very best out of us. And then we're to acknowledge to God that it's our pleasure for His will to be done in heaven or in earth as it is in heaven. He said, I want you to understand, give us then this day our daily bread. He said, when, when you've recognized God, and when you know who He is, and when you've honored Him as being the hallowed God that is residing in the heavens, He said, it is okay then for you to begin to talk about yourself. And He said, I want you to then pray, give us this day our daily bread. God, I don't know what I'm going to need today. Whatever financial blessing that I need to come into my life today, Lord, I'm believing you to give us this day our daily bread. I'm not really worried about what's coming in the future because every day is going to take care of itself when you're a child of God. But he said, I want you to understand that we have the right to pray and to ask God to give us this day 
what we actually need, our daily bread. But he said, I want you to understand that there is a condition that is connected to that. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You would think the lesson is over. He's already talked about all of these topics that he said we should, we should involve when we pray. And you would think that's the end of it. But he goes back and picks up the part about forgiving and has two more verses of Scripture that is with us, that, is, that, that, that goes along with it. I wanted to, uh, let, me, let me find my place here. He said, lead us not into temptation. Then he said, for if you forgive, verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it must be a pretty important topic for Jesus to go back and say it again. None of the rest of the prayer did he repeat more than one time. But he took two additional verses of Scripture there to help us to understand the importance of forgiveness. He said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed or are our debtors. And Jesus, he said, when he said, I, I, I want to look over my lesson now and see if you understand what I'm talking about. So he went a little further and said, if we don't forgive our fellow man, we do not have any forgiveness from our Father which is in heaven. Now that's a powerful lesson to learn. Over in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 as a great verse of Scripture. It says, It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And he, he, he talks about in the Lamentations, when Solomon is, is lamenting over all that has happened. He said, God's mercies are new every day and His faithfulness every morning. And he said, so God can refresh our lives every morning. But it is also dependent on whether or not we have forgiven our fellow man like we should forgive one another. I would like to say that probably on Sunday, the American population is more divided on Sunday, probably, than any other day out of the week. Most churches you go to is predominantly one race or the other race. I don't believe God ever intended for it to be that way. I believe the intention of God is when you walk into the church, it should look like the general population that you see because God loves the whole world. And I said earlier, I know we're all different we all do things a different way. We all cook a different way. We all 
sing in a different way to a certain extent, but hey, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. God wanted variety. God chose for his 12 disciples people from all different walks of life. He didn't get 12 people that all of them were the same thing. Why? Because he wanted to hear them from a different angle. He wanted to say, I love the whole population. I love everybody equally. You know, when he was fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and, and when the disciples had fished all night and caught nothing, and then when Jesus showed up and he said, if you cast your net on the right side of the boat, you will catch some fish. And they said, well, Lord, now we've been doing this all night. I mean, I mean, we are commercial fishermen. We know how to fish. And we fished all night. That's when the fish are moving, at night. And we know that, so we fished all night. Jesus said, cast it on the right side of the boat, and you're going to see what's going to happen. And the Bible declares that when they pulled it up, there was 253 fish in that net. I have been told that there are 253 different varieties of fish in the Sea of Galilee and that he probably had one from every variety in that net that he pulled up into the boat that day. And I believe that's what the Lord wants us to do. Yes, I look different from you. You look different from me. And aren't we glad? Aren't we glad that we're not, that we don't have a life that everybody looks exactly the same? How would you tell who was what and what was where? I mean, we all would look the same. But what if now we have come from the kind of culture that there was some built-in prejudice and there was built-in racism? I just will say it straight, and I do. You know me, I'm plain as cornbread. I just say it. We came from cultures that planted in us these thoughts about people who looked different from us or, or who lived in a different way from us. And now we've come into adulthood and we've recognized that those kind of things and that kind of thinking was not right and it was not like it should be. Well, then we are at a point, we ought to have the love for one another that will go beyond anything that the devil would try to do to separate us. Amen. Glory to God. Jesus is saying, in one of Derek Prince's books, he tells the story of a man who many years would not forgive his father. Interesting story. He says he had spent misery for years because he held something against his father. He finally realized that his unforgiveness was actually cursing his own future. He knew that God wanted, to forgive, wanted him to forgive his dad, but his father was now dead. He got in his car and he drove a very long way to his father's gravesite. He then said, Dad, I forgive you. And Heavenly Father, forgive me. And instantly, the curse was broken. And he was set free. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter asked the Lord a very poignant question. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Peter thought he was being generous. He thought he really, you know, was putting himself out there. I don't know whether Peter had had someone who was a constant, you know, thorn in the flesh, a constant problem. Maybe it's somebody who, who wanted to borrow money from him. <laughs> someone, the next door neighbor, who always wanted a cup of flour and, and you've given out flour to your flowers gone. I don't know what the deal was. But Peter says, how often then should I extend forgiveness to someone? Should I do it seven times? Because if I forgive the same person seven times, I'm doing pretty good. Huh. But Jesus, he realized, you know, and it was a great question. But Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but up until 70 times 7. In other words, there is no limit to how often we are to forgive our fellow man. Now I'm speaking today because I have had to have forgiveness in my life. There have been times that I have had to go to people. There have been times when I have been praying and the Lord put it in my spirit that I had hurt someone's feelings or I had said something that was not right. And I've had to go to that person and ask forgiveness because I had done wrong and I wanted to be free from that kind of stuff that was in my heart. You ever been there? Have you ever had to ask forgiveness from people? Jesus said, let there be no limit to how much we forgive one another. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, it's a long verse, long verse of scriptures that's in there. But down in there, if you get on down, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king who would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him Wow, look at that word. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. Isn't that interesting? All right, go to the next verse. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is not very much. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Listen. 
So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Now listen to what he said. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desired me to do that. Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you? Listen, the Lord says, don't you remember all I have forgiven you of? Don't you remember that you were born into sin and shaped in iniquity? Don't you remember that you were on your way to heaven or to hell and had no hope of heaven at all? You had lived a life that was afar from God and God said, I forgave you of all that stuff. And now you can't forgive someone because they said something the wrong way. That didn't sound like it ought to sound. And you can't forgive them of that when I have forgiven you of all of this other stuff. I want you to understand that there is a, there is a price to pay if we're to have the full blessings of God. If I'm going to have God's blessings on me as a man, if I'm going to have His blessings on my family, if I'm going to have His blessings on my finances, on my business, whatever it is, then I must learn to live in forgiveness because it's in forgiveness that I am loosed from the bondage that is holding me down and I can be set free and receive everything that the Lord has for me. Can you say today that you have nothing in your heart against anyone on the face of this earth? Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you give, bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother has aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. And go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer thy gift. God says my blessings will not be open to you even though you bring a gift to the altar. Even though you bring a gift to me. God says that gift will not buy for you what it would if you could be set free from that thing that's holding you down. You know, if I'm going to give God something and I've got, to, I've got to come up with it and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to give you a gift. There it is. I'm going, I want you to receive this gift because I want the blessings of God in my life. Now, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that gift's not going to go any further than that altar. It's not going to go into the ears of God. It's not going to go into the treasury chest of heaven. Unless you first leave your gift at the altar and go to your brother and say, Brother, I don't know if you know it or not, but I have all against you. And I want to get this thing straight right now. Because the only way I can receive the blessings of God is if I have a freedom to speak to you. Do you have to walk the other way when you see somebody coming down the street do you have to go sit on the other side of the church because you don't want to sit on the same side that they're on? You th I know that sounds crazy to you. 
My dad, my dad had, a, had a, a brother and a sister that somehow or other they had a big misunderstanding between them that went on for years and years. And they lived, one lived here and the other one lived there. And they had a misunderstanding. They went to the same church. They never sat on the same side of the church. One would sit on one side, one would sit on the other side. Now I don't care what the issue is, they're both wrong. I don't care what's going on, both of them is wrong here. I mean, we're talking about brother and sister. We're talking about family here. And my God, sometimes family is the hardest thing in the world for you to work out the issues in a family. And sometimes, you know, it's those family things that tie us up and keep us from being able to be free. But I want to tell you today, set it free. Be free from it. Be loosed from it in the name of Jesus the Lord. He said, bring your gift to the altar and leave it there and then go be reconciled to your brother. And then you shall have the blessings of God upon your life. Hallelujah. First of all, ask God to forgive you. Secondly, understand that your relationship with your fellow man is so important. Melody was talking earlier in the service today about today being the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the Jewish New Year, and the importance of the Jewish New Year that we understand, not that we're trying to make everybody into Jews, although the Bible says that if we are the child of God, then we are the seed of Abraham. So we want to understand that. We're not trying to throw anything wild and crazy at you. But we want you to understand that Rosh Hashanah was a time that you made examination of yourself to make sure your heart was right with God and that there was nothing standing in the way. That's why you could be a part of the Rosh Hashanah festival and enjoy the blessings of God and eat the apple dipped in the honey because you were personally aware of the sweetness of God and the goodness of God and what the Lord was going to do for you. And then after the Rosh Hashanah came the Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was the opportunity then for you to make sure everything was right with your fellow man. They worked hand in hand. Fellowship with God first, fellowship with, the fellow, with our fellow man second. One is just about as holy as the other one is. Hallelujah. Remember that time that somebody came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. How about put that up there, please? Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36. He said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment? You've given us a lot of stuff to try to, in, in, to take into us and to understand. Now, Lord, if you, could, if you could condense this thing and bring it down close, what is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now folks, listen to me. That doesn't leave any room for junk. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's it. That's all of it. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Amen. Then go to the next verse. The next verse says, This is the first and greatest commandment. Then the next verse elaborates a little bit. The second one is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, If I could put all of the laws of the prophets and all of the words of inspiration and wisdom that I have received from my Father and I have passed down to you, if I could make it simple and tell you, this is the simplest thing that I could tell you, that if you do this, you can embrace the wholeness of the gospel, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, we can't get by with just loving God. You can't love God properly unless you have a love for God's people. And we're all the people of God to a certain extent. And I want you to understand how important that is. Hallelujah. If we want God's mercy, if we want God's forgiveness in our life, we have got to learn to show mercy. And we've got to learn to forgive one another. I didn't have anything to do with all of the injustices that was done by my kin folks years ago. That was way before I was born. You didn't have anything to do with whatever happened to your people long before you were born. A lot of them were awful and sinful. And I hope people have prayed about it and have received forgiveness for it. I didn't have anything to do with that. But I want you to know, I can love you with the love of the Lord. It doesn't matter where you came from or where I came from. We're all the same in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. I try to be as clear and concise as I possibly can. Hallelujah. I want you to see this. Look at Ephesians. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture because I want to show you what the Word says. This is not the gospel according to Tim Howell. This is the Word of the living God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. I talked about that a little bit last week. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That means don't hold these bad thoughts inside of you. Don't even let the sun go down. If you, if you are in the midst of an offense with someone, if you are in a terrible disagreement with someone, and you want to be the man of God that He has called you to be, or the woman of God that He has called you to be, then don't even let the sun go down till you get it straight. Hallelujah. I know you've heard me tell the story of when I was playing basketball in high school. And we stopped at a little old store one time after a game one night. I didn't have a penny in my pocket, not a penny. 
which was nothing unusual with the, with the childhood that I had. And all these basketball players went in there and started buying their Pepsi-Colas and their moon pies and their peanuts and all that stuff. And man, I, I was wanting some bad. And I didn't have a penny to my name. But you know what I did? I walked by that little old rack that had platter's peanuts on it. And I took one of those packs of peanuts and stuck it in my pocket and walked out the door. I thought I was pretty smart. But many, many years later, when I started getting things really right with God, that pack of peanuts came up in my mind. And I could not live with myself until I paid for that pack of peanuts. I got in my car and I went to where that store was. That store wasn't there anymore. It was, I mean, it, the, the concrete blocks are still there. I could take you and show it to you now, out there on Highway 378. Concrete blocks are still there, but everything was gone. I didn't know who I could pay or whatever. But God knows my heart. I wanted to get that 10 cent pack of peanuts straight. I'm telling you, whenever you get the kind of relationship with God, that all this stuff begins to come to the surface. You know you're getting into holy ground. You know you're getting into position where God can cleanse you and make something out of you. We won't ever gain anything by covering up all of our sorriness and all of our sinfulness. We need to lay it wide open before God. And if it's against someone else, don't be afraid to go to that person and say, look, I've been saying things about you that's not true. And I want you to forgive me and let the Lord cleanse me today. I don't want to have to die and go out to meet God with this on my conscience. Hallelujah. I gave you a little piece of paper to start with. That little piece of paper, I want you to take it Almost everybody has someone in their life that they've had some real strong disagreements with. And it has caused you a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a relative. I don't know a lot about some of the stuff that I talk about except what I have read. But I know a lot of people. <clears throat> Does everybody have a slip of paper? I want to give you one if you don't have it. We got some back here at the back if anybody else needs it. I know a lot of people have dealt with incestuous situations. I don't want to dig down into the wounds of your inner self. But sometimes those things get stuck in us and we can't get past them. And every time we see a certain person, 
it makes us recall and go in the other direction. Folks, these things don't need to be. We need to have everything clear before God. I want you to, I want you, I don't want you anybody else to see what you write on your paper. But I want you to write the name of someone, if you have someone. Now, I'm not asking you to create something. But if you have a person in your life that has been a great problem to you, in your own private way of covering up who you write down, write it down and just hold it right there. Because we want to deal with that a little bit. I want to show you a verse of Scripture that can set you free if you let it happen. I want to pray over you right now before I, before I go to the rest of this. Father, in the name of Jesus, in this very sensitive part of our service today, give us clarity of thought and mind, and God help us to be able to face the truth so we can be set free. In the name of Jesus, I believe you for it. Amen. Now I want you to write down that person's name. Think about it for just a moment. There's been a lot of junk. But that last verse 32 in Ephesians 4 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That scripture that says in the beginning of that scripture, verse, verse 26 of this same, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Look at this next verse, it's very important. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give up any of your domain. It's yours. It belongs to you and God. So don't give the devil a place in your heart. He will get it bigger and bigger and bigger. It'll hurt you worse and worse and more and more. And these thoughts will be inside of you. You'll be creating all of these scenarios in your mind that will never happen, but it'll, it will bother you and worry you down. So don't give place to the devil. Take it back. We're going to take it back today in the name of Jesus. Now the verse of Scripture, if we will look at it, that can set us free. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Look at what he says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Flesh and blood is not the enemy. That person, that name that you wrote down, that is not the enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. That is the enemy. That person's name on your paper is not your enemy. The devil is the enemy. 
And the evil that is in people, it's not the person that is actually, it's, it's the evil that is in them that is creating this kind of stuff. I tell you right now, Jesus did everything that he could possibly do to give us the best and to make sure that we received all the things that God would have us to receive in the name of Jesus. He never, he never missed out, but he gave us all of it. There was eight times in Scripture that Jesus shed blood. I've been talking about blood and the power of the blood. I spoke to you about three weeks ago about the thorns and, and coming up out of the ground and the vines coming up when God cursed the ground. And yet out of those same thorns that were placed on the head of Jesus, it drew the blood and it neutralized the effect of the curse of the thorns. There were eight times that Jesus shed His blood. In Luke 2, chapter 2 verse 21, was the first reference to the shedding of blood is when he was eight days old. And he was circumcised when they brought him to the temple. Remember Abraham and every male child for centuries had entered into God's covenant through the act of circumcision. But they were all sinners. Their blood was polluted by sin. But when Jesus Christ, at the age of eight days old, when he was circumcised, his precious blood made the covenant of Abraham and all of those who had been circumcised under the covenant. It made it good and it made it right then and brought it to pass. Glory to God. The second time that Jesus shed blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22 verse 44. When the Bible says his sweat became as great drops of blood. There are two areas of thought there. One that says it wasn't actually blood. It was sweat like drops of blood. And I myself have held that position in the past. But I did some reading behind it that says that there are documented cases when people were so overcome with grief and emotion until the pores of their skin would actually open up and blood would come out and drops of blood would be on the forehead. Hallelujah. Glory to God. His sweat became His great drops of blood all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam had said, God, not your will, but my will. And now Jesus turned it around and shed His blood. And He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He turned it totally around. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. The third time was in Isaiah 50 and 6, was the prophecy given when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. They pulled the hair from His face as foretold by the prophet Isaiah. The blood began to pour from the face of Jesus. Remember when Adam sinned, he ran and hid. Remember when Adam sinned, he could not look into the face of God anymore. But when the blood poured from the face of Jesus, it opened up the idea again that man could face Jesus because of his shed blood and because of what had been redeemed by the power of that blood. Hallelujah. 
He said, now again, instead of us hiding in the presence of Jesus, we come boldly into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. He had the hair pulled out of his beard, which opened up his face. He didn't have to be shamefaced anymore, man did. But because Jesus sanctified that relationship, man then could come boldly into the presence of Almighty God. And the Bible said in verse 4, they beat his back, and that unique, unpolluted blood flowed down his back. They tore his flesh. All these years before, when the burden of sickness and disease was placed on the back of Adam and all that followed him. Now when Jesus suffered the blood coming down his back, he took the burden upon himself. (laughs) He became sin for us that we would no longer have to bear the burden of sin. I don't have the burden of sin and disease on my shoulders anymore because Jesus, by His stripes, He took my place. Hallelujah. And now I can walk free of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. They placed a crown of thorns upon His head. Adam had been crowned with dominion. God had given him the power and authority over all of his creation. But Adam sinned. But when that crown of thorns was pressed down on the head of Jesus, once again he restored dominion to his creation and gave us the power then in the name of Jesus to be everything that God ever intended for us to be. Glory to God. Then came the hands that were nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. The hands that could not be lifted in the holy place until they were nailed to the cross of the Son of God. And now I can take sinful hands that at once served the creature more than the Creator and I can lift up holy hands in the sanctuary and bless His name because His blood made it possible that my hands could now be free to worship Him. His feet were nailed. And I'm coming to a close. Remember after the sin, Adam's walking with God came to a close. You never find anymore Adam walking with God after the sin. But when those feet were nailed to the cross, it made it possible that now, once again, we can walk with God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go to someone else and confess our sins. I can walk with God every day of my life. Hallelujah. Because Jesus had His feet nailed to the cross and the blood flowed down. And He said, Tim, you don't have to do that anymore. You can walk just like Adam did in the cool of the garden or in the heat of the day. You can walk in the presence of God. That's been my plan the whole time. I know I'm getting lengthy and i got to hush. The last one was when He had died. 
And one of the soldiers, one of the soldiers came by and took a spear and pierced Jesus' side and blood and water gushed forth. That was all that was left. That was the last of the blood that he had. He gave it all for us. You will recall that Adam was alone in the Garden of Eden. And God caused him to go to sleep. And out of his side he took a bride. Well at Calvary the second Adam, Jesus. After he was asleep. Out of his side came a bride. That's us, folks. So now, because of his death, because that blood flowed down out of his side, now he's not God's only son. <laughs> but there's a lot of us. It ain't, it ain't just Jesus, the only Son of God. When that side was open, out of His side came the water and the blood. And it opened up the way that there would be a bride after all. God never intended for Adam and Eve to sin and bring all this on the human race. But through His Son, the second Adam, He brought redemption to all of us. And now we can walk boldly in the presence of God day by day. I can lift up holy hands in the sanctuary and bless His name. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You gave it all. You gave it all so we wouldn't have to flounder around in failure. But you gave it all that we could walk in victory in the name of Jesus. I don't want to be beat down and destroyed. I'd rather be dead. I want to go to my grave worshiping the Lord, honoring Him, lifting up holy hands in His sanctuary. I don't always get it right. I'm not a perfect man, but I'm working on it. And God's working on me. And by His shed blood, by all the drops of blood that He shed, when that side was finally pierced and the last bit of blood that was in his body came rushing out, glory to God, it made me become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And now I am part of the bride. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us again. May we love one another and may we forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you've got anything in your heart or in your life that you need to settle at the altar today, if you've got anything written down on your paper that you were not able to get clearance about, Take time to come to this altar today and receive what the Lord has for you. Sing a little bit for us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.